0: Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. If you are new to the show, my name is Jay. I'm an investor looking for the smartest home for my cash. Maybe that's just like you. If it is, I think you're going to like what we do here. Now, today, my guest is Jeff Booth, who is a serially successful entrepreneur, investor, and author, macro, deep, deep macro thinker, and crowd favorite here on the show. We cover a handful of topics today. We begin by talking about Asking the question, what stage might we be in in terms of the life cycle of the United States Empire and the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency? Because that is one of the most popular questions that that is being asked on my show and on most of my peers' shows as well. Is what's next? What's after the U.S. dollar when it comes to world reserve currencies? And you can go a handful of directions with that. You can go towards CBDCs or cryptocurrencies or gold standards or BRICS alternative currencies, something like this, right? But Jeff points to the fact that that might not be the smartest question to ask. The reason we ask that question is because if you look at the recent history of currencies, you see, you know, the Dutch guilder owning the 17th century. You look at the British pound owning the 19th century, the U.S. dollar owning the 20th century. So the logical question is who's going to own the 21st? right but Jeff says look you're missing the point what will happen next is a complete disruption of how we understand world currencies to operate on the back of emerging and disruptive technologies so fascinating conversation with Jeff and I know you're going to enjoy it now I want to mention that a lot of my viewers are gold investors as am I and many gold investors have an aversion to listening to Bitcoin centric commentary and as you're gonna learn in a minute here Jeff is an advocate for a Bitcoin standard. But what I want to say to you is when you turn a blind eye to the assets you don't like or or don't want to understand, you're the only one that gets hurt. And if you want to be on Team Gold or Team Bitcoin or Team Real Estate and you want to love that asset, the only promise I can make you is that asset will never love you back. All right. And when you put up walls against content you don't like or that offends your, your theories and philosophies. You know, you open up your own blind spots massively. So I don't know what's around the corner. I I absolutely do not know what's around the corner. And so I want to hear as many perspectives as possible. And I want to hedge my bets and have exposure to as many lifeboats as possible as we go through whatever transition I believe we're going to keep going through for the balance of my lifetime as the geopolitical chessboard continues to be shaken up. So. Anyways, I know you're going to enjoy this. I certainly did. I learned a ton, so maybe you will as well. Last thing, as always, I write a weekly sub stack. It comes out every Sunday. I love writing it. Even though I'm an investor and I manage a portfolio of companies and cash, what I write about is managing my mind, right? Which is the most important tool in every investor's toolkit is understanding your own heuristics and biases and blind spots and what leads to good and bad decision-making. I get phenomenal feedback and I love writing it. I'd love to have you join the team, hit that link beneath this piece of content, and you'll hear from me in your inbox every Sunday. Here is Jeff Booth. Enjoy. Okay, here I am with Jeff Booth. Jeff, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, no problem at all, Jay. Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm excited to chat with you. So here's where I want to begin. I want to start with kind of a bigger question and then we'll drill down from there. If I can, I want to ask you about the life cycle of empire. And if you were to think through like the various dynasties in China, uh, you know, the Portuguese empire, the Spanish empire, the Dutch empire, the British empire, now the American empire, you know, at their height, every citizen probably always feels like the sun will never set rights on our empire could you give me your take on where we might be if you have a take where we might be in the life cycle of the american empire today
1: yeah i don't think there'll be a reserve currency um like the reserve currency of the the u.s holds over the world again in um as we play this forward some some might uh mistakenly uh View that differently is that's going to be replaced by China, but uh, but I suspect that that is not going to happen. I think economics always drives empires, um, and it uh, all the way back to Roman times or Greek, Greek times. And it's and and if whether those economics are built uh, first on I have more power than you and I can take that take the, take your power or my military is stronger. And I can seize your gold and your wealth from your country or raw materials. Um, But then those empires uh, typically uh, do the same thing that uh, uh, that all empires do. It's kind of that that choice to be part of the part of that gets eroded, and it gets er eroded typically from a from a monetary base. The the economy can't serve all of the people the same. So what 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 they the, what the leaders do, or the people closest to the it, when it was gold or clipping coins, they debase the currency and they make people poorer over over time, um, and it leads to the end of the empire. Um, so I actually my take on that whole thing is it's actually always been driven by technology or predominantly technology, and why, um, and and when you had an inflationary monetary system. That had to grow against technology that was supposed to be able to kind of bring more for less. Um, you would you would start to move apart from the real world, and you would start to mask that, and then it would get more. So a long debt term, long long term debt cycle is actually a, a function of getting worse and concentrating more and more control into debt that can't be repaid. Because technology is actually moving the other way, and so back in Roman times, that might have happened every six hundred years, where where you'd have a a, a debt cycle reset, um, and now it happens a lot faster because technology is moving faster.
0: And so let let me ask you then, because you you brought up a uh, an interesting comment. You said I don't think there will ever be a reserve currency the way we think about it again after the U.S. dollar. And to add some perspective to that, you know, the concept of a reserve currency isn't that old, right? We can, I mean, the Dutch guilder was kind of the first. The, the Portuguese real in advance of that was like a maritime currency used globally in the Spanish currency for that, but not in any any shape the way that we know a reserve currency to be. The Dutch guilder was really the first, and that was not that long ago, right? We've had the Dutch guilder, the British pound, um, obviously the American dollar. And that's maybe a 400-year history. It's it's not it's not that extensive, and so you know you have to think that's that also came on the back of a world that was much more fragmented. You go back 500, 700 years ago, um, you know even the, the the Dutch Empire was a you know the global superpower, but lots of the world from their um, shores was still unexplored, and the world was not nearly as small as it is today. We've consolidated the way we communicate and explore, which has allowed America to be the kind of power it is. But so if there's what happens next, you, you see a next evolution of what a global superpower is therefore, as you know we've now got this new sort of idea of what reserve currency is, global superpower, but that's constantly evolving.
1: I think it's such a radical departure from what most people would think on your show um, from most people's frame of reference because their frame of reference includes everything in the past and the past, never had the things that we're moving into, specifically Bitcoin. It never had something that could be decentralized and secure, and uh, it served all of us instead of a small number of us. So so without that, if something for the first time had decentralization and security, and it never existed before, and the winners write the, victory, the history books, then you can guarantee all of human history up till this point has a flaw in the way that we were, uh, that we think about uh, history, um, and it and it comes down to people's perception of what won won that piece. And typically, what ends up happening is money is superordinate than laws. Um, it's more powerful. If you uh, so so laws get replaced, changed by people who have the most money and can lobby and or or put in their judges or their their favor them. Over and change the laws. And if it didn't look like that, if it didn't look like that, then you would expect all over the world where money was most broken, you'd expect to have the best personal property laws and best rights and freedoms. It looks opposite, right? That's because money is superordinate to laws. But we required, because we never had something like Bitcoin before, we required um, institutions to serve the, the purpose of. Trust, so a bank or a or or a government body or a, or any of the uh, any of the institutions that we count on today serve the uh, purpose of uh, of trust because we had to centralize some of that in institutions and then enact laws to protect us from the institutions. So that would be what the constitution would look like. That would be like what the Magna Carta looked like, and what those constitutions or or laws enshrined. In property rights and and people's individual rights and freedoms, they produced stronger economies because th- there were more shots on nets from the free market to produce more opportunities. And so those and 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 so those free markets created uh, created stronger economies. And then over time, but if money is broken, again, th- that goes away, and and you can see all around the world it goes away when money is most broken. So the question is, is money broken today? And we can see all it is is a ledger. I'm um, going go a little deeper just on this topic from and I'm going to take a different different angle into it. If you think about human coordination, we're all we're all connected all over the world. right For our batteries to run our Teslas, they come from cobalt in Africa, in West Africa. And if those people weren't paid two dollars a day, you couldn't drive your Tesla. And so that connection to labor all over the world is is um, and 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 if you can essentially make somebody else's labor cheaper through monetary policy, and and drive their wages down, where you export your inflation to them or wage deflation to them, then you can capture their gains for a while, but it doesn't last forever. And so here's the other take I would say: human history it, us as part of human history, we're, uh, all we are is, um, energy storage and compute. That's what your mind is. That's what your body is. It's, it's limited energy, limited storage, limited compute. We stitch that together through money so that other people can do other things and you don't have to do everything in your life to be able to provide this the service to your life. So that's, trust in money, and that's that abstraction that we stitch together so that we can coordinate human labor. Now we can each be a piece of the economic puzzle and do more and more things. Well, somebody could be a butcher, somebody else could be a baker, and you can make that work, and you can divide labor through trust in money. So that creates that limited energy, limited storage, limited compute into a supercomputer, which is us. When that supercomputer breaks down when you have break, uh, breakdown in trust, in fact, look look at it, again back to money, if that's the layer that uh, holds it together. Look at a big city. So bigger cities have more compute um, before the internet. Um, bigger cities had more compute. and so people moved to the from the small towns to the bigger cities because there was more going on. And it feeds back and you look at the power law of different cities um, and to, to, to towns you can see what happens but then ask yourself the opposite question to that and you say what about a big city where, where with really broken money and you can see there's no compute it breaks down so that whole thing and it's actually another piece of the thing you asked about empires is also driven by us searching for higher forms of energy, more energy. So the British, the sun never set on the British sail, sail or flag was a result of them finding coal as a form of energy, a higher form of energy um, before others had. And the US, a big portion of the US's strength was them driving to oil before it, before others. So oil, higher forms of energy. Another, so any one of those three kind of higher form of energy, um higher form of storage which books were a higher form of storage so the printing Sorry. press when Sorry. we when when we drove into we could export our mind into massive storage and then drive more compute against what other people said so any one of those three independently has a huge phase change in society but all three taken together obviously have a massive change uh, to society so that's um if you just follow that logic and where we are now in computers computers in storage and compute are doing things better than we can and so powering that is a huge phase change that most people are, most people don't realize what because they, they're measuring the phase change from within the phase change and they can't see what's ha- that, what's happening and to me that's why i've become kind of uh, quite an active proponent in bitcoin is because it's outside of that system, decentralized and secure, with no counterparty risk. That as long as um, is uh, and, uh, again a different way uh, into this technology, uh, te- uh, prices fall to the marginal cost of production. It's well known in economics. No matter what you do. Over a long enough time horizon, prices fall to the marginal cost of production. You can you can protect an industry in your country for a little while through protectionism, but the the competition still moves on outside your borders, and prices continue to fall. And then your industry in your borders is uncompetitive to the rest of the world. Um, so prices fall to the marginal cost of production, and some of the marginal cost of production now is a line of code, and some of that line of code is it, so it's free. And some of that line of code is being now written by computers. So it's free. So now you have prices fall to marginal cost of production. You have exponentially uh, exponentially increasing productivity driven by the same thing. yeah, by, by us moving more and more to computers, which can do it faster, better than us and seeing patterns that we couldn't see. And the only thing that could measure, so that means just as a derivative of that, you would expect out of what I just said, prices falling exponentially on all things. That's a logical person would say by deduction, these two main prices should be falling exponentially. Why aren't they? Because we live in a system with a ledger that is the denominator is changing radically. And people are measuring all prices by the error code and the denominator changing. Yes. And they think that's the, that's the accurate system. Whereas the new system in Bitcoin, it's actually, it's probably not even fair to say prices are rising. It's probably uh, Prices are only rising when measured in your ledger that is wrong. What's actually happening in Bitcoin is prices are falling, uh, all prices are falling against it and will forever. As long as the security model, the decentralizedization and the security model of Bitcoin doesn't break. So if that stays constant, now you can question that that assumption. Can it? Will it fail? How will it fail? How? What would happen? But if it if it doesn't if it doesn't fail, which I think there's very little possibility of it failing, then you can just you can say all prices against it will fall forever, and most people will be confused because they're measuring in a fiat instrument where prices
0: are uh, where prices are rising. Okay. 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 This is excellent. I have a whole bunch of threads I want to pull on here. So first of all, you put out a tweet recently. I want to call it up because it kind of summarizes to a degree what you shared. You said the world today makes perfect sense when you understand it is mostly a reflection of a dishonest ledger. As it transitions to an honest ledger, it will make perfect sense, but things will look completely different which is kind of what you said at the tail end there that you know if we're measuring the system using a faulty denominator things look a certain way but it's all relative what are you measuring relative to i want to ask about your comment you said let's use bitcoin as the example you know it's it's outside of the system right you have confidence as long as it doesn't break Yeah. what do developments like the sec approving you know, a Bitcoin futures ETF expose some vulnerabilities because it is an asset that could be bought and sold on an open market. And so, in theory, could be manipulated price wise. What do you think about that, Jeff?
1: So, again, some of these, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I... I don't want to give you just a soundbite answer because it's way more it's 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 more depth than uh, than than that. But let's use that example and just say so. Gold today is manipulated, right? There's paper gold everywhere, and that's what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Um. And if you actually tried to drive all of the uh, of the paper. Uh, Gold, there wouldn't be enough gold right to resolve that contract. So, so essentially, it's a manipulated market tied to the existing system. The difference between gold and Bitcoin is gold. You have to typically um, to make use of it. I'm not saying everybody does, but most mostly, it centralizes. So, so you're countering on somebody else being a counterparty to you. You don't store it so in self custody. So that same thing if you did an ETF on BlackRock and most people in the world centralized it then that's exactly what would happen. Um but what, one thing about Bitcoin is most people don't centralize it. And and what happens is when that when, when that um, at some point the bill becomes due and people will try to withdraw that's what ended up happening with FTX. That's what happened with uh, Celsius. A whole bunch of others. And there's more. There, there's more. Um, essentially, they've they've created paper Bitcoin, and and somebody thought they were holding Bitcoin, but they weren't holding Bitcoin. So in Bitcoin, when they when you hear "not your keys, not your coins," yeah, what you what you, that's what that's what that self custody instrument is so important in driving the long term. Uh, value of Bitcoin, and I suspect that because so many people know that today, and it's getting easier and easier to self-custody um, through the technology and different layers that are coming on 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 top of this, that that is going to be uh, that that's going to be a big part of this. And if that becomes a big part of it, then people who play leverage games on top of it, or 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 paper Bitcoin games on top of it, will constantly get liquidated whether that's a government whether that's an etf whether that's uh, anybody it will hit a point it'll look really good while the market's going straight up but it'll it'll hit a point and and people will get confused and, and but the, then they too will be liquidated when when that happens and there won't be anybody coming in to save them that's why self custody is such a um and it's actually tied to that other thing i talked about that decentralization and security together If that's the first time in history we've ever had it, then we're more trusting of the institutions than we should be. And we're less trusting of ourself and self-custody than we should be. And that is a key insight. That is one of the key insights that that makes Bitcoin accountable to you. You don't have to trust anybody else.
0: That's such a powerful statement. We're more trustworthy in institutions than we should be. And Layering that on top of what you just shared, when I think through, you know, the FTX, the Celsius, it's almost, you could almost put that in the box of these are really good things for the ecosystem because they show people blatantly the importance of self-custody and cold storage, which is, if I understood, if I interpreted you correctly, the big difference, right? We've had, um, You know, we've had assets like like gold. It's you know the only asset that is not somebody else's liability. All the stuff, zero counterparty risk. But the issue is, okay, but how many people actually take custody? And therein lies the problem: how much gold is there actually versus how much gold people think they own, which is a a big problem. And I agree with you there. Um, And so that makes sense to me. And in that sense, it's like every every FTX, every Mount Gox, every Celsius is kind of good for the ecosystem because it shows people the importance of taking ownership which is just a great value in general right to understand that you have to have your own back you cannot delegate that to a third party institution to have your back and why would you when self custody is so simple and becoming simpler
1: yeah uh, and it it really is but the, the the mental gymnastics people have to go over to be able to believe that they That they're better than an institution. So think about this in this this way. We trust banks with our money, knowing full well our money is losing money in the bank. So we pay fees to be able to lose money in, uh, in a bank. And then we put regulation on top of that system to protect people from losing their money from a system designed to steal their money. The, yeah. and it, it, so so all of these constructs that we're living in, that we think are normal, are so abnormal, um, but, but we put up with them thinking, Ineffectively, effectively what is ending up happening is people bury their head in the sand and they all believe, I can outpace the return of devaluation by putting my money here or here or here, and an entire financial industry Way, grows up, which is now call it twenty five percent of global GDP, <laughs> um, to to be able to extract more money from people, to be able to tell them where to put their money. It's, it's safer than others, and it's all it, it's all. <laughs> it, it, people don't know it's a long con, but there's no way that long long term they're going to to maneuver the real the real um, debasement rate.
0: So an issue i i see with that that i want to ask you about is when a, when a a fraud happens when an ftf when an ftx happens there's there's two outcomes one is that people cry for regulation the second is that people understand the importance of taking ownership which is to say self custody the better option is that people take ownership but the more common option is that people cry for help and point the finger and say we need Uh, better regulation i mean you know kevin o'leary was you know on youtube saying i'm marching to washington to you know like after getting paid tens of millions of dollars from it
1: to be able to promote it to to be able to swindle a whole bunch of other people
0: so what gives you yeah so what gives you the confidence that this won't go that way when we kind of live in a, a modern nanny state people love to um delegate accountability to anybody else and, uh, and be protected, which, you know, is, and the result. Oh, and so I, I,
1: I, I've said this so often, I don't expect this to be a, 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 quick path I don't yeah, expect yeah. this what to 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 be so there's some people that would say that in in two three four years everything's made Bitcoin denominated Bitcoin that's going to be the way the world looks I suspect that's not going to be the way the world looks in in that time now that doesn't mean you can't live in that world today because all of your if you're in Bitcoin and, and saving Bitcoin all prices will continue to fall so that William Gibson's uh, quote um the the uh, future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. If you're measuring in Bitcoin, you're already living in the future. And what you realize beyond just the prices falling, um, and it's going to be volatile. It's, it's actually going to be the exact mirror image of the volatility you see in the existing system. In the existing system, you're seeing prices go up with volatility. And in 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 Bitcoin, you'll see prices falling with with volatility. It's so a it's a mirror image. But you're already living in that system, one level deeper to that system. If you understand Bitcoin, that all it is is an honest ledger. What would the world look like on an honest ledger? And who would you want to do business with each day? And who what type type of people would you want to know? Would you want the people that are, that have done the work to understand it's just an honest ledger? and trade between all humans matters on an honest ledger, and the mere reflection of that world would give incentives to that, or would you want to live in the dishonest ledger? And what would the mere reflection of the dishonest ledger look like? And so so for me, not just the prices falling, all prices falling, including house prices, including all prices, all prices are falling in Bitcoin, and they do virtually every year. And they constantly, uh, constantly do. More important than that is, I'm spending my time on an honest ledger, and the people that you meet that are also that have done the work to understand what I'm saying. Um, you meet them at a d- different level because you know <laughs> it's not through. Like, how could you expect in in politics, because politics is just theater today on top of a dishonest ledger because all parties need to manipulate money faster and faster and faster, no matter what party you're in. So so how could you expect voting for that or trying to make more money from it couldn't have bad outcomes when the ledger has to be debased further and further? There's $400 trillion of debt in the world today, and it's already insolvent. So everybody that's spending their time yelling at each other within the existing system Are actually empowering the existing system. If 90% of your time, 95% of your time is listening to Fox News or CNN, or you think Trump or Biden or whoever on top of that system, or in Canada, Trudeau or or, or Poyev, and they might be individually, whoever side you pick, they might be individually uh, decent, but the system itself requires manipulating the ledger. To be able to uh, to be able to survive, and so what's happening is that 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 ledger is being
0: replaced by an honest ledger over time. So I need to ask you then, because one of the biggest conversations that occurs on on my channel and and obviously all of my peers is about BRICS currency alternatives and what might be being created right now. And you know, if, if you think through, like why are people asking that question? it's maybe just as simple as where is the puck going next, right? If the Portuguese real sort of dominated the 15th, 16th century Dutch guild or 17th, the pound, the 18th, the dollar, the 19th, like what's next? And that's what people are trying to answer. What's next? Who's going to take the puck next? But is that the right question to be asking then Jeff?
1: So, so I understand the question, but most people are really bad at doing second, third or fourth order derivatives. So they look in, in the next thing that's going to happen instead of the thing at, that, that causes. They're ter- terrible at uh, Most yeah. people are really bad in thinking second, third order derivatives. And so what's, what's happening is they're falling into that trap because financial media is falling into that trap. And it sounds like a good soundbite, but without asking the what would that look like? So most of these brick na- brick nations are export nations to the U.S. Right? or between themselves, right? And they all want more jobs. In other words, they want their their labor lower, right? So they can attract the jobs in because technology is replacing a bunch of these over time. <laughs> so they're trying to devalue their currency faster than their neighbors to be able to trade. And and the U.S. is still primarily the buyer of the world so if you're selling raw materials to china so china can produce with low cost labor products that are going to come to the states be bought by the by the states but there's no final buyer it kind of defeats the pur- the, the purpose anyways now just imagine these different currency units all what do they what do they actually resolve to Right? Do they resolve? And and I know some people are saying, okay, they're going to resolve to gold, and that is actually a potential short term um, transition to Bitcoin, Um, but I don't see it as a long term because who would trust? How would how would global nations all get together and trust who has how much gold? And then and then trust in this system that in this world that we have today that. that they're going to be honest with that system and trade and 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 and, and move the gold when they uh, when their balance payments can't be uh, can't be met. So I suspect um, I suspect that system also breaks down over time and more and more more and more countries or whether it's countries or individuals. I think this is uh, I think the best way to look at Bitcoin is it's a bottom-up disruption. And all technology, is is bottom up. So what happens to to um, to typically the incumbent in a technology uh, change such as this is they do that uh, they try to protect their monopoly. So those closest to the money monopoly are taking typical steps that a monopoly would do, just similar to what Kodak did when they invented the digital camera, and it threatened their monopoly. Ignore it, and it moves from the farthest edges to the people who are most hurt by the monopoly. and then it moves into mainstream. So now, through that lens, what you could see is who's who has the money money monopoly today u s, China, um, the uh, certain uh, certain export countries to be able, to especially uh, oil. Um, to be able to serve those, uh, uh, serve growing energy needs uh, around the world. And who doesn't have the monopoly, money monopoly? El Salvador didn't, right? Other African countries with rich resources don't. And those those countries are likely uh, first to, to go here. And whether the country does, or the country doesn't at first, because there's an authoritarian leader that's put into place by one of the, the main countries I'm talking about, <laughs> um, that um, whether the people do, every single person on the planet has a way out because Bitcoin's an open network just to move move from the system based on theft to a new system. From a system that they are responsible for paying back $400 trillion of insolvent debt to a system where they are not. And so, so that will likely be driven by people first, then country, then businesses, then countries, each, each acting in their own best interests from the bot from the bottom up on
0: something that can be stopped. And f- okay. So for this to materialize, as you mentioned, it's going to have to go through these stages. I think you said from, from individuals first, then to businesses, from an adoption standpoint, then to countries. Um, I, that's how I see it too. I, I I agree with that. Now, what is the role and and what is the purpose and maybe future therefore that CBDs will play in this evolution? Right, are CBDs you know government's sort of last ditch effort to to provide this option or at least the the image of it to citizens? Is it You know what is the role? What is the sustainability of the CBDC projects? And what do you think? What do you think is the inevitable outcome?
1: So I think they will be tried, and they will fail spectacularly. Okay. Um. And because all a CBDC is is surveillance. It's not money. Right. It's and it is really important. Well, like why is a CBDC needed? The CBDC is needed because four hundred trillion dollars of debt is already insolvent. Yeah. And the only way to make it solvent is to steal it from you. And and the only way that you would do that is is once you're on a digital ledger and somebody could say, oh, this person has too much wealth in their houses, or I'm going to tax at a different rate and I'm going to press a button and this yeah. whole entire group is going to transfer their money back to the state. That is what a CBDC is. And it will be voted for by the majority of the po- a lot of the population because they won't see that coming. Yes, and and once in, and once embedded, so the the only way away from a CBDC, I, uh, I can see, is Bitcoin. The good the good news, and, and it's why it's it's way more important than I'll bet you a lot of your listeners realize, because with without Bitcoin, that is that's what would happen, but by 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 transferring so much control to the state and removing the free market force then living standards must go down so again look all over the world and say where is it, where is communism or state control that you can't predict people's ideas you can't you both can't predict what the market is going to look like and people's reaction to the market that's why the free market does that in a better more efficient way and we live on top of that free market so for a state to take all of that control and essentially say to people, "I'm going to, all, you babysit me," right? Then living standards must go down over time, and and individual rights and freedoms are lost. And just just for an instance, um, for all those people that think this is a good thing, what does North Korea look like, right? What does that state look like when the, when when the state can reach into your home? And tell you what to think, um, and and if people don't think that that's happening today, they should they they are not they're not as close to because that's what's happening with kind of what big tech and the state in censoring people. It's it's already underway. It's it's massively underway, and that system is dominating your view because most of the people are are reinforcing that view and yelling at each other with, e- with uh, different sides of that equation from that system and making it stronger all the while. So by dividing against the political process or whatever, going and breaking windows or marching on Wall Street, um, and then you go home and then magically all the windows are fixed, where did the money come to do that? It came from your pocket and your ability constantly reinforcing that system. That's why that's why i am become such a proponent of Bitcoin, because it's the only way out of that Dystopia that I can see, and it and it's a free market force.
0: Now, when you say most people will still vote for this system, this CBD system, and again, I agree with you. I think it's a really easy sell, unfortunately, to the mainstream public. Especially, you can provide the smallest incentive to say switch over to your CBDC account, and you'll find, you know. Four hundred dollars waiting for you there. Like people will take that bait all day long.
1: U, U, UBI through this, yeah,
0: yep, hundred percent. And I agree, they, they won't think through the long term outcome, or won't believe that we could live in such a sort of corrupt surveillance state. I, I know a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. That you know we can't trust our elected leaders in the way that maybe we'd love to, uh, and and all things are not what they seem. But I, I think that people will be for it absolutely, uh, if this moves forward inevitably decreases the living standard of the average individual, things have to get a lot worse before people start looking for the lifeboat, right? And that's how most empires eventually fracture, most currencies fail, things got to get really, really bad. And when I say really, really bad, I mean, the wealth gap has to massively widen much more so than it has today for there to be a popular uprising and say, but you know, we're seeing the rise of populism right now. And so what would be different yet? What needs to change for the popular uprisings we're seeing today? To be a popular uprising out of the system, instead of just in the two opposite ends of the same system. If that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Friend of mine was uh, climbing McKinley, and and on the landing on McKinley, um, a uh, the pilot he saw the plane flipped over, and uh, and and he, he he asked at the bottom, he goes, I guess that business is out of business, because so all the people died and everything else. And said, No, that's our airline. And then my friend looks at him as that people forget. And so, and so, what happens is people get comfortable with their time and space. Right, they measure right around, and they they hide and they say, "Okay, no, my life's not so bad." And it gets worse and worse and worse. And they and it happens to so like frogs boiling in a pot that they don't see it. And you can see this again if you just zoom out and take yourself out of this. It's so hard to see this because we're the center of our own movie, and we are all the center of our we're the own. We're we're the star of our own movie, and we in our heads so much. But if you look at other countries that were also the center of their own movie different people in those countries, how do they act? So let's look at Argentina today. Right? You've got 120% inflation rate, it's way worse. So society's uh, divided, it's terrible. At one time 50 years ago or 60 years ago, Argentina was the number four uh, uh, country in the, in the world as far as GDP. So what's what's happened? Um, and why why are the people still reinforcing a system that looks exactly like we're talking about? Why do they go and elect a leader that they think is going to save them, who removes their individual rights and freedoms and imprisons and them? And why do they stay? What is it? What does it look like? And and when there's an open monetary network that any single person there could move into, yes, Bitcoin is far more adoption in Argentina, and and if you looked at it's effectively what i'm saying the same thing that prices are all falling against it it's in in argentina pesos it's setting all time highs right but it's not really moving everything's falling against, against yeah. it but the people there why isn't why is it 90% of the population why aren't they on bitcoin because because most continue to think there's a solve from the existing system now, 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 extrapolate out from that what does that mean from from the rest of the world. That means their labor is way cheaper than other nations. And that means business can go back into assuming a decent political environment or whatever to safe safety for business. Business can go into there and take advantage of that cheap labor and that cheap labor after having their savings just destroyed, and then it's their entire life savings destroyed. Now they start the game again, and they think they're winning again, and then they'll have the their savings destroyed again. So why do most people get caught? Because our minds don't change very fast. We don't see. We think that the we we believe all of the news, everything that we we uh, we're listening to, and we keep reinforcing that system. And if the news tells us Bitcoin is bad or bad for the environment or everything else, we'll will bias bias that and not do our own work to see if that's true or not we'll just believe it and and so few people move and then more people move so it, so just like what we were talking about with celsius or ftx these waves create two one of two outcomes reinforce the system protect me protect me protect me i need or i'm going to take individual accountability and i'm going to learn why the people that take a individual accountability and learn why and paving the way for the future, they bring more and more people on board and, and eventually over a longer time horizon, this changes.
0: You know, you make me think about this uh, concept that's like push, push, pause um, leadership style where you, you give people a little shove into an area they're uncomfortable with, they put up with it. You give them another little shove into an area they're uncomfortable with, they put up with it. Then one more shove, and they start to stand up and say, "What's going on here?" So you pause, right? You let things kind of let people calm down, and people become accustomed to this new normal. What was uncomfortable is now normal. Uncomfortable. So then you push them again, until sure. so they're a little bit uncomfortable, and you push them again. They're a little bit uncomfortable, and then once they speak up, you pause, right? And you, you can really move a population with that strategy, and it's been proven time and time again throughout history. And you know, one of the reasons why people don't leave during civil wars, right, is that things become incrementally uncomfortable, yeah. not exactly. overnight, right? Like, um, and so, you know, that's got to apply to an attachment to a system as well, right? It's almost like this loss aversion mentality. I can't jump ship. I've been here my whole life. We've been using this system, right? My parents use this system. My kids are going to grow up on this system. It's right.
1: mostly it. It's mostly good. Uh, look, relative to other countries, we live in the better part. Uh, part. Of it. So it's okay. It's even though it's based on theft, it's it's better than those other people. And so we can com- we compare that, and we get stuck and we don't realize it. And then we then we then a lot of people complain about the very system. They spend all their time complaining about that very very system, making it stronger.
0: Yeah. You know, your 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 comment relative to other countries, like that, that is so powerful right now. And the reason it it struck me is because we all went through this exercise over the last few years where it kind of sucked no matter where you were, right? Various mandates, restrictions on your life and freedom and all this. No matter where you were, it life was worse. It sucked. But every country did a pretty good job at telling you it was worse elsewhere, right? And you know, Canadian media was filled with uh, the situations in Australia. American media was filled with the situations in Canada and every national media outlet was pointing the finger at other countries. And, you know, for example, I have a brother-in-law in Southern California and we were just down there and he was like, is it really as bad up there as, as it's being made out to be? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Canada's become a bit of a dictatorship. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't love our leader either, but like, listen, it's the the same as in America in terms of how we go through our day-to-day, but the understanding of how things, how bad things are everywhere else is a really powerful tool. And when leveraged effectively, absolutely, just makes you grateful for where you are. And it might be worse today than it was a year ago, but given where else I can live in the world, I'm perfect right here, right?
1: That's what you asked before we started this interview that I've been traveling for the last couple of years. That's why, that's why. I, I wanted to see. In my so, so I was so tired of living in, in that over and over in, in my, in my kids, my life that I wanted, I just said, I'm out. I'm going to, I'm going to work from the road. I'm going to travel, uh, travel the world, put my kids in online school and, uh, and we did that as a family. It was remarkable. It didn't look anything like people said it looked like in these other regions, nothing like it.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. And similarly, if I just went out the headlines that I read about California, I would have thought I was walking into some overwhelming woke nation. Turns out yeah. it's the California I visited five, 10 years ago, same same place, right. more or less, right? Subtle changes. Okay. So uh, maybe as we're wrapping up here, I know you got to jump in about 10 minutes. Um, you know, are you going to stay in Canada, Jeff? Are, are, you, are you comfortable here? You've been traveling a ton. You've experienced, you know, you could take your family anywhere, right? Um, my family's going abroad again in February. We're going to spend about a year in Bali uh, for a handful of reasons, quality of nice. life being one. Um, you know, there's something about a cash economy that gives me a bit of comfort as well. I'm not sure why, but but what's your take on on where you're going to, you got a young family?
1: Yeah. So uh, I am, Bitcoin gives you flexibility, right? It gives you, so so you can move anywhere in the world in an instant and your wealth can't be taken you're, you're, you can, you can remember 12 words in your head. You have, you have mobility anywhere and no nobody can take that from you. So, but, but when we saw lockdowns and everything else, and when we saw the truckers protests and when we see uh, the bills restricting freedoms and saying what the government uh, can do to say, this is, this is okay to say, this isn't okay to say. And essentially we wouldn't see it. Yes. And you start to reinforce you start to reinforce how much control starts to happen. It makes me, and I think it should make others, um, uh, more open to be and and more fle- I want to be more flexible. So so we are looking at, at kind of golden visa uh, at, at regions uh, around the world and and kind of that flag theory having uh, another passport to be able to if we needed to move somewhere uh, uh quickly we would i don't expect that to happen in canada um uh, on a really fast time, time frame i love uh, i love where i live um, i love friends and everything else that I, that i have here but i think it is incumbent on most on on everyone to if they have the means to be able to to uh, build flexibility to build some flexibility into what's coming the the, the world's going to be if you're measuring the world from the existing system, which predominantly people do, it's going to seem is going
0: to seem really chaotic. It's going to get a lot worse. And you know, a good step for people that are wondering, because you know, is to start practicing. Take baby steps. You just spent the last couple of years traveling, testing other locations, geographies, economies, cultures, communities, all this stuff. Um, because uprooting your life seems. Monumental and very overwhelming. Um so as an exercise, I got three young kids, it's quite disruptive to uproot our life, right? But we started with a month, right? And, and then we did two, you know, and you can kind of get a sense of like what is this going to take, right? Yeah. Um, similar to like I have some, you know, doom and gloomers on my show every now and then, and uh they talk about the value of homesteading skills, right? And how we should be able to grow our own food and become self-reliant. And I'm I'm like hundred percent, but this doesn't happen overnight. You don't buy the acreage if you grew up in the metropolis. Like, don't do that. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, right. it's a lot of work. You're going to fall on your face. But start with a basil plant. Like, just start small, you know? You know, do the balcony garden. Do the backyard garden. Like, if you if you want to go down that path, but it's a multi-year process of learning. Uh, just like all this stuff, right? And um, anyways, it just struck me when you're, you know, walking through that. And I thought, yeah, like, we, we used to think it would be impossible to get away for a year. But after a couple trips, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's actually... Yeah, not bad at all. Feasible, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. And with the abundance of really awesome remote education platforms that are launching, I mean, that's I I would love to spend another hour with you just talking about disruptive tech that you're watching because I know you watch a ton of stuff. But education's one that's really caught my eye, and obviously, remote learning's been growing for the last three years. Have been like gas on a fire, and there's all kinds of cool alternatives now for homeschooling or unschooling, and all kinds of new platforms that are quite unique and neat.
1: Yeah. And it's derivative of what we're talking about now. Like, so so this zoom we're on right now, we wouldn't have been able to do 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and it wouldn't have been able to touch hundreds of thousands, millions of people. Um, and so when I say prices fall to the marginal cost of production, this is what I'm talking about. And we benefit as a result. And if we didn't benefit, we wouldn't use it. Right. So all of that, if you think about what's happening broadly in tech, that's happening at an exponential rate in every single industry That's uh, that should be every year, you should be able to get more and work less. That's the natural state of things. But we, we're wired into the exact opposite state of things where you have to work, uh, for, except for a very small percentage of the population that, that wins because of that, at least in this time, until it'll be taken back from them um, through CBDC. Um, the... Uh, they uh, most people are working more, getting less, and so when when you when you put entire planet of people into that situation, which is really modern day slavery, because somebody gets to steal your money, um, you uh, you you obviously have the the effect of it feeling chaotic as people are saying,
0: forget, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. Do you, okay, I know I said last question, but just because some of the stuff you said there, you know, would you expect as part of this transition period for us to experience astronomical tax rates that would be hard for us to imagine? But, you know, when FDR was in the president's seat, I think the highest tax bracket in the United States was 80, 80% or 81%. Like, can you imagine? I mean, what that means is that, you know, you're working eight days for free, then you get paid for two, then you work eight days for free and you get paid for two. I mean, that's how about that, works in reality is that something you would expect Yeah
1: again a, a, a combination of so so as you steal from most of the population cuz inflation is wage deflation right so if you, if you if you're trying to save if you're trying to save money for retirement or anything else your real wages are going uh, going down if you're parking them in assets like real estate then they're mostly hedged against that. And real estate has now attracted a premium, a massive premium, to be able to be a savings that can't be stolen away. So it, it, it is taken away. But as it continues down that path, that's why I think third, second, third order consequences of that, then the only way to, to, to essentially... All of the people at the bottom that have been taken from, and a very small number of people that have concentrated the assets in in either real estate or or things that w- are within that country, they will be taken back through force or through or through massive tech, taxation. Yes. But they will be taken back because there's a bigger population who will
0: vote to take them back. And that cycle you can find countless times throughout history. Um, exactly. Yeah, so well, I think, I,
1: so, so one, one quick thing I'd just say. Yeah. For for people that are listening to this, I so, so the I wrote two articles on my site beside my book. So at jeffbooth.ca. There's two articles called one's called The Greatest Game, one's called Finding Signal in a Noisy World. Read them in that order. And you could see going back years ago, the predictions I made and where we are in the cycle um, uh, of the greatest game and then and then finding signal in a noisy world. And I would say I would say this: most people are really bad risk allocators, and 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 because they don't they don't measure the risk inherent in their own system, they just measure the risk in the new. If you if you think a quarter a t- tenth, if you think there's a one percent chance that I'm right on 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 this, and your allocation to Bitcoin is zero, I would say you're making a huge risk mistake. From there. Learn, learn why I'm saying saying this. Do the work to be able to understand why this is uh, this is important. And I suspect that as you do, you'll increase your waiting um and and probably over time, also increase kind of how you you how positive you are in the future because you'll see more people that are really positive on the future there,
0: yeah, I, I like that as a closing note. And if nothing else, you know it, you operate differently psychologically by knowing you have a lifeboat, like just by knowing you have it, everything, right. you make different decisions, less short-term thinking, less reactive, right? You think smarter, think longer term uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. The greatest game in finding signal in a noisy world. I'm going to put links beneath this content so people can check those out. But jeffbooth.ca is also where you can find them. Jeff, it's always a blast having you on. Thanks for making the time. Yeah.